Hey, uh, we are really, really glad that you're here today. And um, I want you to know that that song that, that uh, the band just did, and they did an awesome job on, um, that's, that's really the theme of what we're talking about today. Because um, we're going to be talking today, finishing up our, our series on marriage, and, and talking about the fact that there is hope. I want you to know today that there is hope. There's hope if, even if your marriage is broken. Even if you feel like it's, it's a pile of ashes, that there is hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we finish up uh, this series on marriage. And so um, let's pray together and then, uh, and then we're going to jump into the book of Hosea and talk about uh, uh, God's unfailing love for us. So let's pray together. Father God, you uh, have blessed us in so many ways. And uh, Lord, we live in a world that is full of distractions and there are many things this morning that could distract us from the real purpose of us being here. There are many things that could um, choose to um, that we could choose to put our passion towards, or or choose to give our attention to. And Lord, I pray that the only thing this morning that we would put our passion towards and give our attention to is you and what you have for us to learn from your word. And so, Father, I pray that as I teach. That, that your spirit would go before me and that your spirit would only allow me to say the words you want said. And Lord, as, as everyone here, as they, as they listen, as they're attentive, I pray that your spirit would open their hearts to the words that, that they need to hear. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're finishing up this series on marriage today. And, and uh, as we said at the beginning, if, if you've been here for all of them, that's awesome. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the ones that you've missed. Uh, you can do that on our website, freedomfellowshipsc.com. You can also find it on iTunes, uh, either one of those places. And you can listen to every one of the messages that we've talked about for the last few weeks. And, and, uh, and we've just been looking at different marriages from the Bible. And uh, we've talked about Adam and Eve and David and Abigail and Isaac and Rebecca. And today we're going to talk about the, the marriage of a, a, of a man named Hosea. And, and uh, we're going to get to that in a minute. But if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and start looking for it because it'll take you a while to find it. Because chances are you don't read Hosea every week for your devotional. But it's a great story in the Old Testament. And it's okay to use the table of contents and find it. And uh, no, you don't have to be embarrassed about that at all. The book of Hosea, and we'll get there in just a minute. Um, <clears throat> the first week that, that I taught in this series, I, I mentioned a statistic that all of you are very, very familiar with, and, and that statistic is 50%. And, and you know, if you've paid any attention at all to the way things are in society, that 50% of marriages end in divorce. And uh, uh, you go to any Saturday in June, if there's 100 people in Greenville County getting married that day, 100 couples. Within five to ten years, 50 of them, of those couples, will no longer be married to one another. That's, that's the statistics. And they're shocking, and at the same time as they're shocking, we've kind of gotten numb to that. But, you know, as you think about it, our society does a terrible job of preparing people for marriage. In fact, I would say that our society does a much better job of preparing people for divorce than it does for marriage. Because, because the norm today in our society, and, and this really has become the norm, is that people that are dating and, and, and they get serious about dating, that then, then what happens is they do everything that married couples do. 
So that now the only difference between dating and being married is a religious ceremony that, that somebody like me stands up there and you don't really hear what I say because you're more worried about how everybody's dresses look and if the caterer showed up on time or not. And then the other thing is there's a piece of paper involved that you had to pay 50 or 100 bucks from, from the Greenville County or the Spartanburg County Courthouse. And that is, today that is the only difference between people who are dating and people who are married. Nowadays, people who are dating, they already live in the same house together, they share the same bathroom, they share the same bed, they do everything in that bed that married people, that used to be just reserved for married people. And so it's no wonder, and, and so what happens is, is, is that's the way it goes, and so then things, you, you're, you're married and things start to not go the way you want them to, and so what do you do? Well, you take your toothbrush, you take your pillow, and you move out, and you go home. And so you do that with one person, you do that with two people, you do that with three people, maybe you do that with ten people before you actually get married. And so when the time comes then when you get married, it's no wonder then that the first time you have trouble, and you are going to have trouble in marriage, it's no wonder then the first time trouble comes up, the first thing that enters into your mind is, well, I'll just take my toothbrush and I'll take my pillow and I'll move out. Because society is preparing us for divorce and not preparing us for marriage. And so one of the things that, that, we're gonna, that we've seen through, through this, this series, and, and if you've seen just observing people in life, is that you've seen that happen over and over and over again. And in a group of people this size, there's not a one of you in here that hasn't been affected by the, by the pain of divorce in some way. Either you have been divorced uh, either you're currently going through a divorce, maybe you're a child of divorce, your parents got divorced, maybe you're a parent and your children got married and they've been divorced, maybe you've had close friends, but all of us in some way have experienced the pain of divorce, some more personally than others. And so we're going to look today at a story of a man named Hosea. And I want you to know today that there is hope for you, if you have been divorced, there is hope. There's hope for you that if you're right now and you're thinking, man, I'm a lot closer to divorce court than I am to marital happiness, there's hope for you. There's hope for you if you walked in here today and you said, my marriage is completely shot and, and we're almost done with the divorce court proceedings, there's still hope for you. Because God can do miracles and God does have something different in mind for you than what society tells us is the, it should be the norm in our relationships. So we're going to talk about a guy named Hosea today. Now, Hosea was a, a prophet of God. Uh, and, and what you need to understand about a prophet is, when you hear prophet, most of us think this is a dude that predicted the future. You know, he would say, you know, what was going to happen in 10 or 15 years. The large majority of the prophets of God in the Bible never made predictions. What prophets were is they were preachers. They were people that, they were men that God called to say, this is what's going wrong in society and I want you to speak to it. I want you to talk about it. And so uh, um, in, the, in the Old Testament, if you look in the Old Testament, the, there's a lot of books in the Old Testament that are named after guys, that are, that are one-word names that are named after guys. The majority of those books in the Old Testament that are, have those one-word names are, are named after prophets. Books like uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Malachi, Joel, all of those kinds of, of books, those were all prophets. Hosea is another prophet of God. And so God has called Hosea, to speak about the moral decline and the moral decay that's happening in the country of Israel. 
And what you need to understand that was going on in Israel at this time is it was a great time of, of economic prosperity. They were, had you know, very low unemployment numbers and inflation was down and all the economic indicators were good and uh, you know, prime rate was happening and people were building. All the good stuff that happens during an economy was happening there. But in the midst of all this great economic growth and all this stuff happening, the moral uh, standards of the country were dropping lower and lower and lower. People were turning away from God. They were turning to false idols. They were doing all kinds of things that go against the Scripture. And so God calls Hosea and he says, I want you to speak against the moral decline that's happening in Israel. And so, so he begins to do that. Now, and, and, and we're going to talk about a marriage of Hosea and how God uses that marriage to teach the children of Israel a lesson. And, and what you need to understand is what we're talking about today is about marriage, okay? We're going to talk about the marriage of Hosea. But not only is it about marriage, it's a, even a bigger story where God uses the marriage to talk about how he deals with us when we're sinful, how he dealt with the Israelites when they were choosing to walk away, and how he still today deals with us when we choose to walk away. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Hosea chapter 1, and I'm just going to read two verses to begin with from chapter 1. It'll be on the screen for those that don't have your Bibles. Hosea chapter 1. God begins by giving Hosea this very, very strange command. And he says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, I did not stutter, her name was Gomer, all right, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, this is just a side note, you have to wonder if some of Gomer's problems just came from the fact that her parents named her Gomer. They started her off behind the eight ball in life by naming her Gomer. But what you need to understand about Gomer is when the scripture there says that, the, that uh, God tells Hosea, take to yourself an adulterous wife. Gomer was more than just a regular person who's committed adultery. Uh, you know, you would think an adulterous wife, okay, she was married before and committed adultery and they got divorced. No, what, what most folks who study this scripture believe is that Gomer was actually a prostitute. This was worse, I mean, adultery is bad, any, any level of it. We're going to talk about that today. But, but there, to me, in my mind, there's levels of it. And, and if you have, you have one adulterous relationship, that's one thing. But if you're walking the streets at night and selling your body to men, to anyone who is the highest bidder for that evening, that's a different level. And that's what Gomer was doing. She was a prostitute. So God tells Hosea, go marry a prostitute. That's what I want you to do. And so imagine, imagine what, what happened here. You've got, you've got Gomer who's known in town as a, as a prostitute and, and a, just a woman with a terrible reputation. And you've got Hosea who is a, a godly man. He's known as a person of integrity. And, and, and she, she's out there and all of a sudden this preacher, this young preacher, godly man, man of integrity, he begins to show interest in her. And, and he begins to, to want to date her and, and they get married and, and, and she becomes his wife. And at first everything goes great. She even has a child with him. She has a son. And, and so things just seem to be wonderful. It's kind of like a, a storybook kind of a, uh, you know, ending here. It, it's, it's really like the story of Pretty Woman before Julia Roberts or Richard Gere ever came on the scene is what it was. And so it was, everybody's happy and things seem to be going good. But then after they've been married for a while, things begin to go sour. 
And, and Gomer begins to, to, to get restless. And, and maybe, maybe Hosea was, was out too much uh, preaching and, and doing his prophet duties and that kind of stuff, and she felt like he wasn't showing her enough attention. And, and, it, and it got difficult. Ladies, you know what it's like. You have, a, you have a baby, and everything used to be about you, and now it's all about the baby, and, and you feel like you've got to work your schedule around that, and this child cries all the time, and constantly needing me to feed it and all that stuff. And, and she just began to feel trapped. And, and, uh, and pretty soon what happened was, is that Gomer began to buy into the most common lie there is in marriage. See, the most common lie of marriage is this. The common lie is, what I'm missing is better than what I have. That is the most common lie that, that people buy into in marriage, and it's the thing that kills more marriages than anything else. Is you begin to look somewhere else, and you begin to say, that over there looks better than what I got here. And it's a, it's a lie. It's an illusion is what it is. And we buy into that lie all the time as married people. And, and, and what happened is that, that in, look at Hosea 2.5. Look at what, what it says Gomer does. Hosea 2.5 says, Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. I will go after my lovers. See, what happens in, in marriage is that as soon as the honeymoon is done, maybe some of you on the flight home from the honeymoon, you begin to realize everything your spouse is not. Before you're married, every, most of us just are blind. They say love is blind. It really is. We, you know, we think, oh, they're just all so wonderful. And that thing they do that kind of bothered you when you were dating, well, then when you get married, it drives you completely crazy. And when you were dating, the thing that you thought that he would become one day, ladies... You get married and you realize he ain't ever going to become that. And, you know, when you were dating guys and, and you thought that maybe, well, maybe she'll learn how to cook and like my mama. And then, you know, she makes you some gravy and you have to slice it off and lay it on your plate. You realize, hey, that's not ever going to happen. And so what happens is, is, that, is that we begin to believe that somewhere else that we can find what we're missing. And, and what we do is, as I heard another pastor say, that, that what we do is that we trade the 80% we have for the 20% we don't have. See, it doesn't matter who you're married to. I don't care if you're married to Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt or whoever you think is just awesome, right? Or Dr. Phil, maybe you don't like him the way he looks, but he's really wise or whatever, got a lot of money. It doesn't matter who you're married to, whoever it is. No one can meet 100% of your needs. No one can do that. It's just impossible. And, and about the best any of us can do is, is, is we can meet about 80% of our spouse's needs. That's really about the best we can do. But you know what? 80% is pretty good. But what happens is, let's say you're in a marriage and, and your spouse is meeting 80% of your needs. What happens after a while is, instead of focusing on the 80% that you have, you begin to focus on the 20% that they don't meet. And you start to look around and you start to see someone else and you start to say, 
that person can meet the 20%. And after a while, if you buy into the lie long enough, you would actually trade the 80% for the 20%, which is a bad trade any time you look at it. But we buy into that lie. I mean, you've heard stories like that before. You know, a man and a woman work together. They're both married to other people. And she comes into work every day, and he's an important guy at work. Everybody answers to him, and her husband, she doesn't know if anybody answers to him at his work or not because she doesn't really know what he does at work. And she sees him, and he seems to be important, and he pays her all kind of attention. And he likes her because she laughs at all his jokes, whereas, you know, sometimes his jokes get on his wife's nerves. And, and, and every time he sees her, well, she's all dressed up and got on makeup and smells good. And because he never sees her away from work, he doesn't know what she looks like in the morning with cold cream on her face and unshaven legs and, you know, morning breath and all that kind of stuff. And so they begin, to, they begin to talk and they begin just to think. And what happens is he begins to look at her and, and he sees that, wow, the 20% of the stuff that my wife is not, I see in her. And she begins to look at him and says, wow, the 20% of the stuff that my husband is not, I see in him. And pretty soon they begin to believe the lie that, well, if I trade the 80 for the 20, that'll be a good deal. And so they begin to have an affair. And which, by the way, I hate the word affair. Because it makes it sound positive. What they really begin to do is they begin to commit adultery with one another. It's nothing positive about it at all. And what happens when they begin to commit adultery, it's exciting. And it's better than what they have at home as far as sex goes. And of course it would be. Because here's the deal. When, when, they, when you're in the middle of committing an adultery with someone, you specifically create times for you to be alone. And, and, when you, and you know that when we're alone, we're going to be focusing completely on each other. And so when you show up, you've been thinking about it all day long. Both of you have. And you've been thinking about how passionate it's going to be and how awesome it's going to be. And you're just, when you show up, you are ready to do what you're going to do. And compare that to sex in marriage. Sex in marriage, if you've got kids, first of all, you've got to fight just to be alone. You've got to pay somebody to take your kids out of the house. Or make them sleep out in a tent or anything like that. And then once you get in there together, you can't just get to the good stuff. You've got to have a conversation about how your son's failing algebra and your daughter backed into a car in the Target parking lot and how the toilet's still leaking and we've got all these people coming over for Thanksgiving and you've got to have all these conversations. And then by the time you get done, you think, shoot, I'll just watch a ball game tonight. <laughs> I mean, that's really how it goes. And so... So, there's, it's, so it's no, no, uh, no wonder why forbidden sex is much more exciting than married sex. And so what happens is, is for a while that just seems to be great. And then the other lie that you buy into during that time is you begin to say, this, I just have more in common with this person. I really like to watch horror movies and my wife hates that. And this, this lady, she loves to watch horror movies and we saw Saw 12 and and it was just so awesome, you know, whatever. Or she, you know, she says, I like to shop, and my husband just hates to shop, and this guy, you know, he likes to watch Say Yes to the Dress, and we pick out shoes together, or whatever it might be. That guy's going to leave you later on for another reason, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but you, you know, you begin, you begin to buy into this thing where, where you think, well, I have so much more in common with this person. 
And you know what I would say to that? What is more in common than the, all the years you've spent married to your husband and your wife and the kids you have together and the home you're trying to build together? That's much more in common than what you would ever have with someone that you meet at work or that you, you meet in a bar or wherever you would meet this person. But we begin to buy into those lies and that's how those things begin. The best advice I've ever heard someone share about when you begin to, you begin to find yourself looking, you begin to, to, to start paying attention to the 20% someone else has instead of the 80% you have, the best advice I've ever heard someone say is this, whenever the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. Whenever the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. Think about it. Think about when, when you commit adultery with someone. Think about the time, the effort, and the energy you put into meeting together, being creative, trying to be intimate with one another. You just put all kind of time and effort and energy into that. What if you put that same amount of time and effort and energy into meeting together and being intimate with your husband or your wife? I've heard stories of, I, I knew of one guy who, he'd been married to this woman for a long time and then all of a sudden, he just decided he was going to get in great shape, and, and he got in all this great shape and was working out, trimmed down, man. He had washboard abs and all this kind of stuff, and guess what I found out later? The reason he was doing that? Because he was hooking up with some lady that he had met. And you say, and I, I thought, well, why didn't you get in that shape for your wife? Well, she let herself get all dumpy and that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? If you'd have taken the effort and gotten yourself in shape, and she knew that it was for her, maybe it would have inspired her to get in shape. I, I, I knew a story of a, of a lady who, who uh, she had an affair with a guy, and she was, she was buying stuff at Victoria's Secret, you know, every couple of weeks to wear for this guy. And I thought to myself, why don't you do that for your husband? If you'd have done that for your husband, maybe your sex life with him would have been a whole lot better, and you wouldn't have had to have felt like you would have had to go somewhere else. Maybe he would have shown a little more interest in you than going hunting or playing golf or watching a ball game if you'd have, if you'd have taken that step for him. If you find yourself looking somewhere else, it's time for you to water your own yard. It's time for you to take some steps and say, we're going to work on this marriage. We're, we're going we're to make sure that we put passion and, and, and creativity into this relationship. Now, I told you at the beginning that, that this story of, of Jose and Gomer's marriage, so, so they've gotten married and had a baby, and now she's left. She's gone back out. She's walking the streets again, living the life of a prostitute. And I told you at the beginning that this story is bigger than just their marriage. It also tells the story of how God deals with us in our sin. And I want to read you two passages, and we're going to look at how God deals with us in our sin. But I think as we look at how God deals with us in our sin, we're going to see how we should deal with with one another in our marriages. So look at Hosea chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Hosea 2, 5? She said, I'm going to go back after my lovers. Now this is how God responds to what she has done. Hosea 2, starting with verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore... I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. 
No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Now this is God talking about what Israel has done. They've turned They're back on him. And you see the first response to our sin that God has is righteous anger. Righteous anger is the first response that God has. I mean, the words in here are are harsh. It's when, when he talks about, I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bales. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees. They were harsh. But what you need to understand about these harsh words from God is they are 100% justified. Now, why do we know they're one, that God was completely justified in his anger? Well, because we know God doesn't sin, right? So if they've turned their back on God, then, then he's completely justified in his anger. Now, if you have been involved in a marriage that has been broken by adultery, and you were the victim. You were not the one that chose to, to trade the 80 for the 20. You were not the one that, that ran off and, and hooked up with somebody else. But, but you are the one who was the victim of that. You have experienced anger. And I want you to know that's okay. Because chances are what you've experienced is a righteous anger because you're angry about the fact that someone has committed adultery against you. But now here's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between us and God, though. Whereas we know God was 100% justified in his anger because he did nothing at all wrong. You need to also look at yourself, even if you were the victim. Now, I'm not, now listen to me. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. There is never an excuse for someone to commit adultery. I want you to hear that. There's never an excuse. I don't care if you were the worst husband, the worst wife ever. The response, the proper response to that is not for them to go find someone else and begin having forbidden sex with them. But it is a good time if you have been the victim. Even if you've been the victim, it's a good time for you to look at yourself and for you to say, what could I have done differently? You can, you can be angry, that's okay. But don't stay in that anger. Begin to take that anger and say, okay, what could I have done differently? You know, when I, when I read those verses of Scripture there from Hosea 2, 8 through 13, there's a, there's a part of it that almost sounds like what God is saying there as He's saying to the Israelites, hey, you want to do life by yourself? You want to do it without me? You want to do it your own way? Fine. Go ahead. I will let you do that. And see, God does that to us sometimes. God is all-powerful, and He can do whatever He wants. And one of the things that He does is sometimes He allows us to walk down a path, and He tells us no, He tells us no, He tells us no. And then if we're bound and determined to do it, He'll say, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to leave you to your own desires. And we're going to see how this works out for you. And I want to tell you something, that that is a terrible place to live your life. Because what happens is at first you begin to feel this freedom. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't doesn't matter what you learned in church. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. You're living this new lifestyle. You're doing what you want. And then what you begin to find is you're going to hit wall after wall and problem after problem because you're not doing it the way God intended for you to do it. 
And maybe you're here today, maybe you've been here these last few weeks, and if you were honest, you would say, that's kind of what we've been doing in our marriage. Maybe that's what you would say. That, you, that in your marriage, you, you had gotten to the point where you just weren't going to do it God's way, and God has taken His hands and said, you do your marriage the way you want to. And now you've gotten in a situation where, where you've got all these difficulties and all these problems and, and, and you've been doing marriage your way for so long. You've been, you've been doing marriage the way that, that the Kardashians or somebody on TV does it and not the way the Bible says to do it. And now you're in a mess. Well, the hopeful thing today for you is is that the second reaction that God has to, his, to, to the sin of Israel is not anger. It's something much better. And God doesn't dwell in His anger. Look at Hosea 2, 14 through 20. Now verse 13, He just said, I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the Baals. And then look at immediately the next verse. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips, no longer will their names be invoked. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in love, and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. See, the second reaction that God has to our sin is unfailing love. He doesn't stay in righteous anger. He's completely 100% justified. He could be angry at us forever if he wanted to. But instead of dwelling in righteous anger, he moves from righteous anger into unfailing love. Look at the words that are used there. Verse 14 says, Therefore I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Then at the end, 19 and 20, he talks about, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Those are, those are words that, that someone who's in a, in a loving relationship, someone who's trying to, a, a man's trying to, to, uh, to convince a woman to be his wife, those are the kinds of words that are used. And so God is saying there that even as you're walking away, even as you're being unfaithful, that, that he is coming to you with unfailing love. And I would say to you today, if you're in the middle of a broken marriage right now or, or you've been in the middle of it before, that unfailing love is available to you whether you were the victim of adultery or even if you were the one that caused the adultery. God's unfailing love is available to everybody. And that's why the, that's why the hope of this story is so great. Verse 15, I want to read that again because this is a, a huge point for us in our marriages. Verse 15, it says, Therefore I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Does anybody know what Achor means? You just This morning you woke up and you decided to look up Achor in the dictionary. I know. Achor means trouble. Achor means trouble. So what he says in there is he says, In the valley of trouble I will make a door of hope. Now let me tell you, I'm going to give you a secret right here. Get ready. You might want to write this down. This is amazing advice I'm about to give you. 
You want to have a perfect marriage? You want to have a fantastic marriage? There's two ways to do it. The first one is do everything right and never make a mistake. By the time you're done with your honeymoon, that one's out the window, right? Here's the second one. The second way to have a successful marriage is walk faithfully side by side through the valley of trouble until you find a door of hope. There is going to be trouble in your marriage. Those of you that have been married longer than 10 years, if you believe, if you've experienced trouble in your marriage, I want you to raise your hands high for everybody to see. There's going to be trouble in your marriage. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. Now, when I say trouble, it doesn't always have to be huge. It doesn't have to be, you know, an, uh, an affair, committing adultery or terrible things. It can be just normal stuff. But there is trouble in those marriages. And what happens most of the time today is, as soon as someone begins to walk through the valley of trouble, the valley of Achor, they want to get out. But the, but the way we know, that the way that you can have a successful marriage is, is that you commit to each other. Listen, there's going to be trouble. I understand that we, we took this vow and everything was perfect that day we took the vow. Even the weather was perfect. And, but we know it's not going to stay that way. And so we're committing to each other that when the trouble comes, we're going to walk faithfully side by side through the valley of trouble until God provides for us a door of hope. And the door of hope only comes through doing marriage God's way. Sherry and I, um, we, this past June, we celebrated 20 years of marriage together. And um, some of you probably look at us and you just see us here and, and you think that we just got all our stuff together. And, and the reason I know that is because I've been in, uh, done life groups, I've done mar led marriage life groups, and Sherry and I will be in there together, and, and after a few weeks, people will say, God, it's so good to know that y'all's marriage isn't perfect either. And I thought, oh yeah, it only took you a few weeks in my house to figure that out. But, um, you know, we've, we've had a wonderful marriage, but there have been days of trouble. There's been, there's been days of happiness, and there's been days of anger, and there's been days of of sadness and there's been days of joy and there's been days of frustration and days of complete contentedness. There's been days of financial blessing and days of financial strain. We've been through a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and our marriage is not perfect because neither one of us are perfect. So, so our marriage is far from perfect. But, but we made a commitment 20 years ago that when the frustration came and and when the financial strain came and, and when I do stupid stuff or whatever it is, that we made a commitment that we're going to continue to walk side by side through that stuff. That we're not just going to be there when things are good. Anybody can stay married when things are good. I'm not impressed by that at all. But you know what I'm impressed by is when I sit down with people that have been married 10, 15, 20, 30, or 40 years and they can say, yeah, there was a rough patch in 1973. We had a really tough year in 1992 when my son committed suicide or, or when I lost my job or, or when I had an affair and he took me back or she took me back. That's what I'm impressed with. Those people who walk through the valley of trouble until they find a door of hope. 
And that's what Hosea chose to do. I want you to look at Hosea chapter 3 now. This is to me the most beautiful part of this story. And this is the part of the story that I hope when you walk out of here today will inspire you to be a better husband or a better wife. So she's left him. She's back on the street. Hosea's gone through righteous anger, certainly. And now look at Hosea 3, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, in, in today's world, are you all laughing at the sacred raisin cakes? Yeah. That's like a little Debbie thing they had going on back then. I don't know. I have no idea, really. I didn't research that, but it's something to do with a foreign god, I'm sure. So, uh, so guys, if she comes in and tries to serve you raisin cakes, that's evil. Stay away from it. But, uh, but what, I, what I love about this is that, is that she, was, she was back out on the streets, and God says to Hosea, hey, go take her back. And in today's society, what would what would ninety nine point nine percent of us have done? She's we're done with her. That's it. And we'll even we'll even go to the New Testament and quote Jesus, where Jesus said, "Divorce is wrong. I mean, you you have no reason for divorce except in the case of marital unfaithfulness." And so you say, "Hey, my wife hooked up with one guy. I'm done with her. I got." Bible says I can do it. We're going to go get divorced. But God may be calling you to do something different. He may be calling you to do what Hosea did. And look at, look at how it ends up at verse 2. It says this, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a left tech of barley. Now why did he have to buy her? Because she was now working for her pimp. And, and he was going he was going to need compensation because he was, he was losing that income that he was going to get. So, so not a, it's already, this is his wife. He could, it was already his. But he has to go buy her back while she's in the midst of doing this. And he says, then I told her, you were to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. Now think about this. In the midst of her unfaithfulness, Hosea was completely faithful to her. Now, she didn't come to him and say, please buy me back. I'm so sorry. Please take me back. No, she was in the middle of still living that lifestyle. She was still in the middle of going out on the streets every night, finding a different man to pay her for sex. And while she was in the middle of that lifestyle, Hosea was completely faithful to her. Kind of reminds me of someone else who's done that. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got our stuff together, not once we even realized we needed His help. 
But while we were still in the midst of living our rebellious life, while we were still in the midst of trying to run as far away from God as we could, that's when He chose to die for us. And that's what Hosea did for Gomer. And that is what God is calling us to do for each other in our marriages. I made a joke a while ago about the way to have a successful marriage is to do everything right all the time. Of course, that's impossible. But you know what I I really do believe? That if we learn to love each other the way God loves us, because that's what what Hosea said to Gomer, what what God said to, to Hosea, he said, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. If we will learn to love each other the way God loves us, If husbands, you will learn to love your wives the way God loves you, which is He loves you freely and passionately and unconditionally. And and wives, if you will learn to love your husbands freely and passionately and unconditionally, and both of you will do that, I truly do believe then that, that there is nothing that can stop that marriage. I don't care who comes into your life. I don't care what what they have that, that you would look at and say, that's 20% that I'm not getting at home. I don't care what that is. If both of you are loving each other the way God loves you, then that is an affair-proof marriage. Now, I want to say something to those of you today who have been the victims of adultery. And maybe you're still in the midst, you're still married, and you're trying to decide what to do. I want want to tell you and just be completely honest that there are no guarantees that if you show unfailing love to your spouse and they've run around on you, there are no guarantees that they're going to come back to you. I've seen marriages where unfailing love was shown and it saved the marriage, where the marriage was about to die and unfailing love was given and the marriage was saved. But I've also seen marriages where the marriage was about to die, someone was committing adultery and, and... and the other person chose to show unfailing love, and and the person committed adultery, stayed in their sinful, stubborn state, and went on and ended the marriage anyway. So there's no guarantee. But I do know that that's the way the Bible calls us to live. And I can guarantee you that if you do that, even even if your marriage is not saved, if you do that, God will be glorified in your life by your faithfulness. And that's always a better thing than if you were to stay in anger and to completely uh, just turn yourself over to to anger and and what that would do to you inside. Now, if you're here today and and, um, your marriage is is in that state and and it's it's messed up, um, we want to help you with that more than just talking about this today. And, uh, And so... So one of the things that, that we want to do is, and, and this is not just for people who are really messed up in their marriages, but if you, you just think, you know what, we need a little boost here. Uh, on your, your thing that you received today when you walked in, your worship guide, we've listed names and numbers of counselors that we recommend people to in this area. And, um, and guys, let me just tell you, guys, I know you think, man, counseling is like for women or whatever. Um, why don't you take the lead, guys, if you're a pretty crappy husband, or you have been? Why don't you take the lead, and you make the call, 
And ladies, if you're a pretty crappy wife, or have been, um, why don't you tell your husband, hey, I've been pretty bad, why don't you take the lead and call this guy and make an appointment for me, because I'm too embarrassed to do it. But don't be afraid to take that step. Now, we've talked a lot today about broken marriages and all that kind of stuff, and and I know the, the majority of you are not in that state, but this is what I want you to do right now. We're going we're gonna to come to a time where I want you to make some commitments to one another. And, and um, my daughter Emily's going to come up here and she's going to begin to play. And um, as, we're, uh, as we're doing this, our, our guys are going to come forward and we've got some stuff we're going to put out here for you to make a, a commitment uh, to each other. And this is what I want to challenge each of you to do during this commitment time. Um, this is not just about today. This is about what's gone on for the past four weeks. And, and what I want you to do as, uh, as couples is I want you to look at your life together and just realize what God has done. Realize the 80% and maybe even more that you've been blessed with in this other person. And I want you, before you leave here today, if you're already married, to make some commitments to one another about, hey, we've been doing this for five years and we're committed to do it forever. Yeah, I know we talked about that on our wedding ceremony, but that was a long time ago, and frankly, I was too nervous to know what I was saying. But today I know what I'm saying, and I'm committed to this thing. And so our guys are going to come now and put some, uh, st- some roses out here, and, and we, want our, we want the men to take the lead in this. And uh, men, you can, if you want to bring your wife down front and the two of you kneel together and you give her a rose, uh, or if you want to take it to her, um, you know, what, what, and by the way, don't reject it like on The Bachelor or whatever, okay? And I don't watch that show. State, state that for the record. Blake tells me about it. Because um, he does. And if you're here, let's say you're here and you're alone. Uh, your, your wife's at home, your husband's at home. Um, We want you to come get one, and we want you to take it home, and we want you to find some time to talk to your husband or your wife. But men, in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, the music's going to play. And as the music plays, uh, men, we want you to take the lead, and we want you to come down, and we want you to take the lead in talking to your spouse and telling her, I'm committed that this marriage thing, I'm not just messing around that I'm going to be the best husband I can be. And ladies, you respond by telling your husbands that you're going to be the best wife you can be. And then I want you to pray together. And guys, I want you to lead the prayer. And maybe you've never prayed in front of your wife before. I want to tell you something. You want to get your wife all excited about who you are? You pray in front of her, okay? That's not the only reason to do it, but that works. It really does. But you you pray for your marriage. You pray with your wife. And maybe you're here and your wife's working in the, in the children or the preschool today. You take a rose. And if you want to go back there to her now, that's cool. Or if you want to wait till you get home. And maybe you're here and you're not married today. And you happen to bring an engagement ring in your pocket. Bring that girl down here and ask her right here. That would be awesome. That would be exciting. But what we want you to do today is, is we want this for you today to be kind of like a fresh start where you could say, I know I haven't been perfect, and I know it's not going to be perfect later, but I'm committed to walk side by side with you through the valley of trouble 
until we find a door of hope. And that's what I'm going to do. That's what my commitment to you. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you for marriage. It's your gift to us. You created it for us, for our good. And Lord, as we've talked about it these last few weeks and journeyed through this thing together, I just pray, God, that that when we're done, that we would have marriages that glorify you more than we ever have before. And that people in this community would see what's going on through the marriages of the folks in this room. And that we'd be an inspiration to our friends. And that our homes would be homes of peace and homes where you're glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name.